Hello and welcome back to another episode of Nick Tiffany's Movie Reviews. Coming at you online in print format at nicktiffany.com, in audio, in podcast form, anywhere that you get your podcasts, and in video on YouTube. Today we are talking about A Haunting in Venice. I finally caught up with Kenneth Branagh's third installment in his Agatha Christie adaptation trilogy, playing Detective Hercule Poirot. He's doing double duty as he has been on the last couple films, directing and lead acting. And so far it's worked out pretty well for him. And as someone who grew up in a household where, I mean, my mom loves the British channels. She loves BBC. She loves Murder, She Wrote, all these different Shetland shows, all that. I'm like, there's so many. I had them all in my head, and of course, I'm fumbling for them now, but you're David Tennant's, and she loves British movies as well, all the Hugh Grant films, everything like that. She's just all in on the Brits. So growing up, I happened to watch, or you know, I'd watch parts and bits of some of the Agatha Christie murder mysteries, some of... You know, she didn't watch Doctor Who, but I saw a lot of David Tennant, Broadchurch. There we go. I watched a lot of these kind of British detective mystery type dramas over time. Old Sherlock, newer Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock. And this film, this latest Haunting in Venice, is far more in line with a lot of those productions. And I mean that in a mostly complimentative way. I think story-wise, this film doesn't bother itself with kind of trying to dress things up like maybe they did, especially on the Murder on the Nile. Murder in the Orient Express, I enjoyed, I think, second best as far as the story goes. Still a little bit more of the spectacle focus as well there. You've got a lot more A-listers in both of those films. This third one, not that they don't have stars in it. You've got Tina Fey. You've got Beth from Yellowstone. You've got Jamie Dornan from Fifty Shades of Grey. You've got a few people popping up here and there, but the story is far more concerned on the mystery at hand and just kind of taking the straightforward approach into the story. There's not a lot of fluff, which I kind of liked, but in the same sense, because this is a lot like those BBC productions, you know, it, it feels a little bare bones. The score is nothing overly consuming, kind of like how I felt like watching a lot of those BBC TV shows. I was like, this is really fascinating stuff from the mystery at hand to the people dying, what Poirot was trying to uncover. But there is a lack of audio, audio engagement for me, I would say sometimes. It's my one thing. Audio, I'm like music and a well-placed score. I mean, truly truly transcend some of the narrative, some of what's happening on screen. So I was a little let down in terms of how the soundtrack and the score were used here. However, I was really impressed by what Kenneth Branagh was doing with the camera this time around. Because we're in this super intimate setting, much more like the Orient Express, you know, the boat and the Nile's a little more wide. You've got a lot more shots taking place on and off the boat all around. This film, once we get going, once we're in the trenches, we are in this haunted palazzo in Italy, in Venice. And Kenneth Branagh uses the space in every room really well. He kind of utilizes every angle, giving you as much as he can put on the screen, kind of giving you, the audience, a chance to look around. Obviously, you're kind of listening for audio cues. You're listening for little hints or things people might subtly mention about someone else like we're building our own kind of case study 
along with them. But because you've got these massive wide angle shots, you can really see all the different rooms that these characters are inhabiting rooms where maybe, you know, someone was murdered rooms where, you know, this was misplaced. And so you really have an opportunity to look at everything at hand. And that for me kind of brought me more into the mystery, you know, soundtrack aside, that kind of really kept me engaged because I'm listening to all the ends of people's sentences, listening for certain cliffhangers, but I'm scanning and I'm looking and I'm like, okay, if he noticed that, what else am I missing? What else could I be looking for knowing what we know in the story so far? And so I think that really worked to their advantage in terms of this bare bones and all. Uh, I think the story itself is a little more intriguing than the last couple. Again, I think Orient Express is a firm number two for me. Just overall, I think it was a better story than the Death on the Nile. This one, super layered, a lot of moving pieces, and it does so in a really natural way. It didn't feel like it was overly long, and it didn't feel like it was too short. We kind of proceed along with the mystery as we go, and it was just far more intriguing. It's kind of post-war, and so you've got this Poirot who's retired at the beginning of the film, you know, he's kind of seen too much death and despair everywhere he goes. Somehow some impossible situation occurs that he must solve. I'm sure there's also this side too of you want to retire on a win. You don't want to retire being bested by someone else. And so that's kind of where our story takes place. Tina Fey's murder novelist writer comes to try to coax him out of retirement. Come watch this seance. I can't make any sense of it. Hopefully you can. Of course, Boro does not believe in anything otherworldly, anything like spirits and that. So to his surprise, of course, when he sits down with the medium, some weird things start happening. Some he can explain. He's no fool. But there are a few other things that are kind of left up to the wind, and he's not quite sure how to make heads or tails of it. And so that's also proving for a very interesting factor in the film. You've got this Poirot who's kind of doubting himself, who's uncertain that maybe he has what it takes to fully uncover the truth, but damn it, he's going to try. And so, you know, he and Tina Fey have a, a fun little banter. Kind of wish maybe that she was in it just a little bit more. Kind of felt like Tina Fey just paying, like playing Tina Fey light, which was fine. Um, yeah, Poirot was kind of the, the main star here. He truly is the anchor through and through. Everything kind of rests on his shoulders and as the audience, we certainly engage with that. So I don't know. I I really did enjoy this. I am always a good mystery fan. I'm a sucker for something that kind of turns my head a little bit or I'm like, I did not see that coming. I did not even consider that as a possibility. And so this film more than the others really kind of had me guessing along and kind of feeling like, where where is this going to end up? I'm kind of curious, you know? So I think for all of those reasons, it's definitely one I would seek out. I think he's kind of found his stride both as a director and playing the character of Poirot. And so, you know, in six years, he's put out three of these movies. And if there's something people love alongside horror and thrillers, it would be mysteries. I was kind of bummed that this movie was also billed as like, and maybe it wasn't billed as a thriller. Every advertisement was kind of showcasing, oh, there's frights and spooks and we're dealing with spirits and a haunted house and all this kind of stuff and and again maybe this comes down to the score 
There are certainly jump scares in the movie, but without having that really high-pitched violin to match right when the cat's jumping out in front of you or something, it was just kind of like, ah, oh, like that. It felt like a BBC television scare. It was like, okay, it was it was mildly frightening, but it was nothing that, you know, had me shaking in my boots. And so I, I kind of wish, like, that you could lean into the horror just a little bit. That's, you know, just to add a little pizzazz, maybe. But again, this is a pretty honest and faithful, ironically, adaptation of what Agatha Christie's probably going for. This work actually was kind of adapted a little bit. Originally, the setting was in the countryside of England. It's been moved to Venice. They kind of changed a little bit of some of the character dynamics and what's happened in the story. So it's a looser adaptation of Agatha Christie's works, but still feels emblematic of a story that was written back in the 40s or taking place at least around the 40s as well. It's kind of like how I feel like when I watched New Great Gatsby versus Robert Redford Great Gatsby. Robert Redford Great Gatsby, it's great. It's a terrific, faithful adaptation of the works at the time. I totally see that. And then you get Baz Luhrmann, who's like, when I read Gatsby, I'm picturing the most lavish shirts that he's throwing all down to Daisy and picturing this massive party. And so, of course, I was in high school when that came out. So like, I kind of gravitated to that already. I liked Baz Luhrmann and I love Leo. So I was already on board with, hey, I get why the Redford version's there. And I can appreciate that it's faithful. But it also kind of bored me. And I'm just, you know, it's just, I hope I don't catch fire for that. But it was just like reading the book, maybe. And then watching the spectacle is like, wow, that took my imagination and even blew it up even more. So, you know, I'm torn. Because I did like this, probably I enjoyed this more than I would enjoy watching the Redford Gatsby, if that's worth anything. But Haunting in Venice, if you like mysteries, if you like Kenneth Branagh, I don't think you can go wrong with this one. You're going to come home with stuff to talk about, I'm certain. It definitely makes you think about all the ways you're like, wow. People are very creative, number one, with how subtly they can kill someone or try to get away with murder and all these things, but... That's why you need the world's greatest detective who's not Batman to be on the case. Thank you again for listening, you guys. We're moving right along. It's almost October somehow. I don't know how that is. Of course, we're not going to have Dune this year, which is a huge bummer. But there's still some massive films coming out. We got Creator coming out in a week. I'm stoked on that. Marvels is going to be coming out in November. There's more than a few big things to kind of end the year that I'm looking forward to. And so I think... We're going to have more than enough great stuff coming in the next few months here. Oscar movie season, as far as releases, is going to start. You're going to see a lot of those festival darlings start to come out in limited release. So I'll be trying to keep up with those as well. And we'll continue doing DVD. It sounds kind of weird to say DVD sometimes. We'll say 4K disc and digital and streaming releases. So thanks again, everybody, for listening. Make sure to follow NT Movie Reviews on all social media networks, podcast platforms, and find us at nicktiffany.com. Have a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you next time.